on America Can We Talk. I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. your tolerance but lecture me is there no end to your own hypocrisy your god is power you have no shame your only interest is political gain you hide your eyes and refuse to listen you play your game coming up next america can we talk with your host debbie georgianos And hello and welcome to America Can We Talk and to one of our very special Thursday shows. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Thursday shows are a great opportunity to have an in-depth conversation with thought leaders, with people who are deeply involved in solving some of the issues facing America. Today will be no exception. We have a wonderful guest in studio with us today, Michael Quinn Sullivan. Before I introduce him, I want to do three quick reminders. Uh, one is I want to thank Krista Branch. That music we have in this show, I Am America, Krista Branch is a singer. Her husband wrote the lyrics, he wrote the music, and that, the words to that so captured this show. I Am America means, it means the people who will lead America, shape America's future, are the people who get involved, stand up, and get and just get in the fight. So I Am America, love that. And when I asked Krista Branch if I could use her music, she said, long as you give me credit regularly. So there I am, Krista Branch, wonderful singer. Uh, second, I want to mention Brighty on TV. I'm so grateful Brighty on TV carries this show. They really give audience to conservatives who aren't necessarily going to make their way onto mainstream television. You can find Brighty on online. It's brighteon.tv and I'm going to spell it, B-R-A, excuse me, B-R-I-G-H-T-E-O-N, brighteon.tv. You can listen to this show, all past shows, many other great conservative, thoughtful hosts. Please uh, tune into that. Uh, and third, no matter where you're listening to this show, uh, if you're just listening, you're not seeing it, you can always go back to our website, americacanwetalk.org. All past shows, blog posts, interviews, everything we do is right there. Love to have you tune in to our website. Uh, at the website, you can subscribe to our new newsletter. Uh, you can do all sorts. You can comment on things that we post. Love to have that American political conversation right on our website. So I'm welcoming Michael Quinn Sullivan to the show today. For Texans, everyone, well, we already know who he is. But in case you are not a Texan, because this show is a very national show, um, he is a, he's, in fact, I'll tell you a great quote attributed to him. Sullivan has been called the most powerful non-elected political figure in Texas. It's probably true also. Um, at this time, uh, he was with Texas Scorecard. He is the, it's a wonderful publication. Let him tell us more about that in a minute. Uh, but they are really Texas-centric, Texas-focused, looking at Texas issues, the legislature, challenges facing Texas. Uh, Texas Scorecard, you can uh, subscribe to it. You can get it in your happy little inbox uh, every day. It's a great, great um, publication. Um, prior to that, uh, he was with uh, Empower Texans, another similar uh, serious substantive grassroots type organization. Uh, but what they really do uh, is help Amer help Texans especially understand the issues in more detail that you may not hear anyplace else. Uh, I probably didn't nearly do it justice in that introduction, so we'll let him tell us more about it. But for now, welcome to the show, Michael Quinn Sullivan. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. So 
So I'm gonna be careful what I say because you're the most powerful non-elected person in Texas. Mm, yeah, but you yeah. know, <laughs> better watch myself. But actually, if you would just start, tell a little more about what Empower Texans is all about, was all about, and then what Texas Scorecard is. Yes. Yeah, so um, Empower Texans, which does not exist anymore, but it uh, we, that organization focused on uh, kind of what that name name implies: empowering Texans to take better, uh, more control over their government. Um, our system of government was designed uh, by our founding fathers to in which the citizens are supposed to be in charge. We, the citizens are supposed to be the masters. The citizens are supposed to be in charge. And those people that we elect to office and the bureaucrats who those elected people hire, they're supposed to be our servants. And we often, you know, you'll occasionally hear someone, you know, poke up their head and say, oh, you know, the president needs to remember he works for me, you know, kind of thing. Um, but I would suggest that more often than not, you know, Debbie and Michael first need to remember that they work for us, you know, and we yes. need to act like the citizens that we're in charge. But that also involves being more informed in a Texas scorecard. Um, our organization, our news publication uh, tries to not only, you know, a lot of times so much of media is what I call news porn. You know, it's where you can sit there on, yeah, it's where you sit there on your couch and get your blood pressure up. You can yell and scream at the host on whatever cable channel you're watching. And then because you got your blood pressure elevated, you, you know, it's easy to feel like I've done something. You know, in point of fact, all you've done is yell at the TV and annoyed your spouse and your dog. Right. Um, at Texas Scorecard, we certainly think there's a lot for people to get their blood pressure up. But more importantly, folks need to know what to do about it. If we are to be the citizen leaders that our founding fathers envisioned for us to yep. be, we have to get involved. We have to get, we cannot wait, you know, for the next, you know, best possible candidate uh, to run. We have to be involved. We have to demand uh, fixes and changes, and we have to start being much more active. So that's what we try to do at Texas Scorecard, is enable self-governance. I love that. The one way I phrase that idea you're saying, I've said many times, is the Constitution in America's founding, they intended the people to be the sovereign. Yes. We are the sovereign, not the yes. monarchy, not the government. We are, but we only, like that song implies, my, my show theme, yep. uh, you're only the sovereign if you take, grab a hold of the reins and get involved. And Absolutely you, true. Absolutely yeah. True. And so the other reason I should have said introducing you, that you're here today, is that you put out a, I've been calling it a documentary mm -hmm. film mm -hmm. called The Texas Heist. And the gist of it, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And the Texas heist, essentially, it explained actually for a lot of people, how in the world is it in the gray state of Texas that we have a clear Republican majority of voters and we have a Republican majority in the Texas Senate and in the Texas House, but somehow things don't get done, very serious policy issues that people care deeply about and they don't get done. And I know I've, I've asked, you know, my former state rep, we just moved to Collin County a year ago, but when we lived in Dallas, you asked about different issues, I wonder why that didn't happen. And you often get, well, you know, you can't get everyone, ran out of time. Or, you know, well, they got the Democrats, gotta deal with them. But the, it doesn't make sense to Texans no. that we can't get basic things done in Texas that we, that we know the majority of citizens want, but they don't get through. And that's what Texas Heist explains is what's happened in particular to the Texas State House. Before I dive in, I told you I have a bunch of clips from Texas Heist. So we're going to rock and roll with this. But sure. what things were the highlights that to you that didn't get done in this legislative session that you would have thought a Republican majority would have done? Uh, most significantly was really anything substantive 
dealing with the border. Uh, yeah. it, 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 it is outrageous that we continue to allow in a Republican-dominated state where border security rates as the number one or number two issue for Texans. Um, you know, we, you used to be able to say, well, you know, I don't live in Uvalde. I don't live along the border, so it's not my problem. They can deal with it. All of Texas is now a border community. Uh, and, and we are all suffering the consequences of that. So to the, the extent that you know, you've got a, a large number of people, both Republicans and Democrats, by the way, who say border, human beings, not elected officials, human being Republicans and Democrats who say border security is the top issue uh, and, are, and, and, and everyone is very frustrated. You get, the closer you get to the border, the more frustrated you find Democrats with the lack of border enforcement by the Biden administration. And at some point, Texas has to exercise its authority as, the, as a sovereign state to say enough is enough. The states created the federal government, which means ultimately the powers assigned to the federal government actually belong to the states. Only the states can delegate their authority, which means they can take it back when it comes to protecting our borders, protecting our citizens. Texas could be doing more. There were a number of legislative initiatives uh, that were, that were uh, considered, both in the Texas House, the Texas Senate. The Texas Senate did their job, and the Texas House decided not to. Again, this is a chamber uh, with, an, with an overwhelming majority of Republicans, and yet, time after time, issue after issue, Things that voters in Texas, taxpayers in Texas want, uh, want done, don't, get, don't happen. You can walk through that uh, property tax relief. Look, I, I, whatever, whatever is a Republican, you think about the, you know, the icky social issues. You know, <laughs> you know, okay, the one thing Republicans have always agreed on is we're the party that cuts taxes, right? But yeah. yet property taxes, because of the Texas House and a little bit the Texas Senate, um, it took not only the regular session but two special sessions to get what will be property tax relief that you will see for a year or two. And Texas has the fourth highest property tax burden in the nation. And before anyone says, oh, but Michael, we don't have an income tax. There are nine states that have income tax, that do not have income taxes. And of the nine states without income taxes, Texas has the highest property tax burden. So somehow those other eight states have figured out how not to have the highest property tax burden, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so much of this thing goes back, and I always say this, always annoys people, the nice people who clap for a moment ago are going to be booing me in a moment, because, because ultimately the problem is each one of us in here, because we sit here and we believe our own PR. Oh, I'm sorry. I be, we, we believe our own PR. I start talking with my hands. So I gotta <laughs> um, I'm very Irish um, or Italian. I don't know which. Um, you know, we start believing our own PR, and we start saying, oh, we're big, bad conservatives. And then we don't follow up doing the necessary work of delivering. And that's where I would say, you know, we, 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 have, a, we have a problem with, um, with, prom with making promises, making these big, bold claims, but without the substance of the room. Republicans have controlled Texas, every state office, judicial, legislative, executive, since 2002. 2002. Yeah. And, and yet, we still have property taxes that are out of control, even with this relief. You know, you just go issue after issue after 20 years, Republican primary voters should not be saying, hey, where's our property tax relief? Where's the border security? Where's school choice? Where's to go down the line? Yeah, I, I would add to that list uh, two important issues, election integrity, not yep. enough get done. Yep. Uh, and the other one is securing the grid for crying out loud. You know, we had that season just a few, whatever that was, three years ago now, mm -hmm. where we saw how weak our grid was and we could not get that done. Okay, I wanna do, for people who, because um, this is a national show, people may not realize 
you're hearing, well, we have a majority of Republicans in Texas, you're thinking, well, what is wrong with your legislature? Let's talk about what is wrong with our legislature. How is it that we end up with a, a majority of Republicans in the House, and yet we don't have Republican agenda move through? It has to do with the process used to choose the Speaker of the House. And that was really the essence of the Texas heist, at least at the beginning of the launch of Texas heist. So uh, I, some of these clips got a little long, but they were so good. It was a really good film. Let's just start with, uh, actually, Mr. Millie. Okay, yeah, well, clip one. Uh, this is just a portion of this. And by the way, for our happy listeners, you can find this on our website. We've put up the link to the Texas heist, or just go on YouTube and you can find the Texas heist there. 37 minutes long, great, uh, simple, and you, you'll leave it thinking, wow, did I ever learn a lot? So let's just do clip one, please. We had a majority and we, we elected Tom Craddock as, as our speaker. If anyone was ever deserving and no one worked harder to get the majority in the House than, than Tom Craddock. I declare the Honorable Tom Craddock of Midland County to be duly elected speaker. It was just the opposite then, Michael. The House was a conservative body. And the Senate was the liberal body. I mean, we would pass all kinds of conservative stuff out of the House, send it to the Senate. It may make it, it may not. Okay, so what are you referring to that's there? A horrible place to, that's a horrible place to freeze it. <laughs> you look resolute. Okay, so uh, you know what? Um, I want to start with, so I had that clip because first of all, that's, that's our ag commissioner, Sid Miller. Great guy. He, yeah, and he used to be in the Texas legislature right at the time that the majority flipped. So for a quick background, we had, a, we had sadly a Democrat majority in Texas for a long time. The Republicans worked and worked and worked. They got a majority in the Texas House, and they elected Tom Craddock to be the speaker, who was actually selected by the Republicans, correct? Right, right. Right. And so this is 2002. This is the first time in a long time. Since Reconstruction. Yeah, since Reconstruction. Wow, okay. Um, so you have Tom Craddock come in. He's doing the Republican agenda. Sid Miller's in there. Everybody's happy. Uh, this goes along. But before long... There was a change. So you have a earnestly a House Speaker dedicated to Republican principles, Tom Craddock. Before too long, he's ousted, um, and there, in his place was put um, somebody else. So this is a little longer clip, but this has Sid Miller and Ken Paxton, our uh, extremely, uh, this is clip to our extremely uh, wonderful, soon to be restored Attorney General. There was a coup. Uh, some of the moderate Republicans that uh, Craddock had in power, uh, revolted. Now, I think a lot of us were, were pretty shocked that you had kind of this very brazen display of a dozen Republicans pretty outright conspiring with the Democrats. Uh, shocking to me as well. No one expected uh, the House, I think, prior to that session had been 86-64, uh, so it wasn't close. And then, of course, Obama came into office and with that, we nearly lost the house. It was 76, 74. We were, you know, breathing a sigh of relief. We kept it. We were going to continue with Tom Craddock. We did three straight terms uh, with the last session, I thought being pretty darn good. Um, and then they came up these, I think it was 11 Republicans. It may, it may have been 12. Either way, it was, it was a deal cut with the, the Democrats to get to 76. So unfortunately, you had these 11 or 12 Republicans who decided, you know what? We want the power. We'll give the Democrats what they want. We'll cut a deal with them. That deal, of course, resulted in what Sid Miller called a coup, ousting Tom Craddock and bringing in Joe Strauss as the speaker. Okay, you know, just so everyone's clear before we get into all the rest of this, 
Describe how, what you're talking about there, how we ended up with a Speaker of the Texas House with a Republican majority who pursues essential, who, who isn't chosen by the majority of Republicans. Yeah, uh, so it's important that you know, process matters and, and rules matter and understanding how the things work matter. I think very often we as citizens go, oh, I don't care about those trivial things. No, we need to care. That's, if, we're, if we're a nation of rule of law that we say that we are, uh, then, then we as citizens have to understand those things. That includes how these bodies operate. In Texas, uh, caucuses don't actually exist. Please yeah. go ahead. Yeah, uh, uh, legislative caucuses don't actually uh, don't exist. Now, the Republicans and Democrats don't actually exist. The only thing that matters legally in Texas, under our state constitution, the rules of the Texas House, is the votes on the floor of the chamber. So this is the Texas House votes on the floor to elect the speaker. To elect a speaker, that's right. So so when you end up with a um, with a uh, you know the speaker of the House. Uh, the, it's not like the, the Republican caucus meets together and says, we're selecting, you know, Tommy is our, you know, is our speaker. And the Democrats say, no, we want, we want Sally. Right. And there's the question of, you know, who has the most Republicans or Democrats. In Texas, you go onto the floor and any one of those folks now gets to run, regardless of party. But I must jump, but that's a choice. That's the a choice that's been made. Yes, because the majority of Republicans in the Texas House could get together prior to the actual session and say, no matter what happens, we're electing Joe. And, and, there was and we a, all get behind him. And, and there was a, a push to do that. But unfortunately, uh, you know, the Texas, there, there is no, there's been no teeth. They, they, they said, oh, well, yeah, we're, we're going to select as the as the caucus. The Republican caucus is going to, to pick someone. Uh, but there's no teeth for then... Uh, you know, for, for, for picking someone else. So the way this happened was that uh, the Democrats understood this. The Democrats came to the Republican, to these disaffected Republicans and said, hey, you pick one of yourself to be the next speaker. And because of the way the numbers are lining up, we'll join you. And that's now set the pattern for the next 15 plus years in Texas, where the Democrats keep going to the, you know, call them moderates, call them rhinos, call them backstabbing, traitors, whatever yeah. you want to call them. Um, Treasonous. Yeah, or, or, or worse. Um, you know, and, and say, look, you guys pick among yourselves and we'll back you on that because we just don't want a conservative in charge. So, so to summarize in different words, the Democrats stick together. The, the Democrats, Democrats band together. They say, we want to have a, have a say in the speaker selection. They identify someone who will go along with it. Right. And, and who will agree to be uh, with an R by their name, be the speaker. And all they have to do to get a majority of the entire House body is to pull over 10, 11, 12 Republicans. And once they've done that, they've got a majority to vote for that speaker. Right. So, and, and again, it's because you, you have the rest of the Republicans go along. You know, I like to note that, you know, remember, we have a system in which uh, you, you want a people pleaser to, to be a public servant. You want someone who's going to please their people, yeah. right? Um, unfortunately, because we all elect our guys, pat them on the head and say, go be a good boy or girl, and then we ignore them, you know, they're still people pleasers. And they start pleasing the wrong sets of people the moment they get into the Texas House. They start being more concerned with serving and, and pleasing the other House members than in pleasing their constituents back home. All true. And on top of that, I will say, once this process has occurred, a Republic, the voters choose a Republican majority, Democrats band together, they identify someone, that's going to be the speaker they want. They pull over enough Republicans to give them a majority of the House. But then the next step is other Republicans who would not necessarily have wanted that person 
to be the speaker, they usually go ahead and vote. And yes. I, I've confronted numerous House members saying, you know, please tell me you're not going to elect, in the case of Joe Strauss again, or the other ones. And the answer is, well, once the majority, you know, had, was, he already had a majority, you want to convey unity. I mean, that's why you, you convey unity is the answer. From, and so they excuse themselves for not speaking up. From, from day, actually before day one as a legislator, the push inside the Texas House is we are a club. We are special. We protect each other. Republican, Democrat, it doesn't matter. Here, you are a state representative. Whatever we tell the voters back home, that's campaign talk. That's that's just to, that's just to make the plebes happy, tickle their ears, and hope they go away. Yeah. Okay. We're going to play a clip, a clip from that in one moment. Um, I will say on that subject because it's part of the answer to the earlier point we we're talking about. How could a Republican majority Texas legislature not pass things clearly popular with the Republican base? And it is because the Democrat selection of the Speaker, Democrat-controlled election of the Speaker, results in the Speaker's capacity, even with an R by their name, to appoint Democrat chairs of committees. Right. To, and, and you can send bills that are, you know, you really don't, the conservatives like, but the moderates don't like. You send to a committee, a bill to a committee to kill the bill. That's the point of it. So the speaker's selection is vital to what laws finally get through it, because they choose, they choose which committee to go to. You want to add to that or else I'm going to hit yeah, this clip? Look, pe people is policy. Right. Who, who you pick for a position equals the policy yeah. results. Yeah. People is always policy. And that when you talk about the outcomes of the Texas legislature, I, I gave a speech in Kansas a couple of years ago there doing a little presentation, and I, I made kind of a passing reference about in Texas we have Democrats chairing committees in our Texas House. And this very nice lady, so I've never had this happen in any speech ever again, this very nice lady stood up and said, you're a liar. And, she, and I'm, oh, yeah, what do I do? Well, she was, a, and she was a state Senate member of their of their Senate. Yeah. There's no way you've got Republican control. You can't have Democrat committee chairs. And so we literally paused and I had a PowerPoint presentation, which I rarely do. Thank goodness I had. So I had on my computer, tap, tap, tap. And see, here are the, here are the names of committee chairs. And you, uh, I saw her break. I watched yes. this lady because she in her head thought, well, if things go south in Kansas, I can always go to Texas. Yeah. If things, you know, and, and she was horrified to learn that we as Texans have tolerated this. Okay, speaking of someone who grew up in New York, I confess I grew up in New York, and I practiced law in California. So we came to Texas in the year 2000, and I got involved in politics. A lawyer from, Cal uh, from California, from New York. It's like three strikes. Yeah. <laughs> Do we allow you to have a driver's license? <laughs> yes, sir. Okay, and on okay. top of that, I am more conservative and more pro-Texan <laughs> than a lot of Texans. Exactly. Having said all that, I could not believe when I got involved in the Republican Party here and in the Republican Women's Clubs, they're telling me the Democrat chairs, I didn't call anyone a liar out loud at a speech or anything. <laughs> but I had that same reaction. That cannot be true. It right. cannot be true. But it is. You appoint Democrats, it's all this collegiality, statesmanship argument, mm -hmm. which really means you're dishonoring the base of voters who gave you power right. to say, well, now that the club is here, we kind of all agree. And with that note, let's hit uh, clip three. And who these people are, by the way, for happy listeners, Matt Rinaldi is the chair of the Texas State GOP, very popular, actually conservative guy, former state rep. The other one is Jonathan Stickland, another gentleman, former state rep. Here's how they're describing life in the Texas legislature, clip three. When you first get into the Texas House, you do an orientation, and it isn't for your parking space or anything else. It's specifically to show you that they are a club and that we do what we're told 
and you will be accepted as a part of the club and be protected in your re-election effort. And they bring in Democrats as well um, to show that, hey, you know, despite what you see during the campaign, we do things different here. We're really all friends. Um, you know, what you tell your voters back home is something different. I remember one of the Strauss chairmen uh, specifically said, hey, you guys are freshmen and the best freshmen, the successful freshmen are the ones that sit down and shut up. He wasn't that good at that. Jonathan Stickler sitting down and shutting up. He was <laughs> no, no, he didn't. Yeah. He did not. Yeah, sit down and shut up is not one of his spiritual gifts. Yeah. <laughs> well, related to that, you know, we were talking before the show started. So this is what occurs inside the Texas House. People show up thinking, oh, I ran on whatever the issues were, you know, pro-life and strong borders and whatever else they say. And they get down there and you think they went down there to represent you. And they're told upon arrival, you're here to join the club and do what we say. Similarly, we talked about before uh, we started today, uh, and we're going to talk about the event that your organization hosts every year, but there was a, a speech at the Texas Conservative Leader Dinner. It's probably, that's not quite the right name, but uh, essentially a speech that honestly was a, is a huge event. And uh, it was a then, I think he was at that time already a former uh, state senator, Don Huffines. So a huge room full of people. He said, let me explain to you what happens in the Texas Senate. You elect people and you think, oh, they believe in X, Y, Z, whatever it is. And they get down there and the first thing they're told is, no, you are, you join the club, you're a senator, and, and you follow what we direct you to do. Here's what you're going to do. Here's what you're not going to do. And, he's, and, and he, seemed, he was depicting how everyone seemed to be kind of, yeah, yeah, we get it. This is what we do. It's like, it's like the Jekyll and Hyde thing from who they were to the voters to who they are when they get down there. I'd love yeah. to have you comment on that. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I think that's the sort of thing that we all suspect happens, but to have someone who was in the room willing to say it was, was, was quite extraordinary. Um, part of what drives this though, and, and, and the way these eyes end up justifying it when you talk to them is, well, you know, by being on the team, I can get good things done. Yes. Um, and, and, and they say that repeatedly. And, but unfortunately, the good things just don't seem to happen. You know, that because the, the compromises they have to make to be on, you know, to, the compromises they have to make to be on, you know, sitting at the card table, not yeah. the kitty table yet. They haven't earned a place at the kitty table. They're just at the card table. And, you know, then, and so, oh, well, gosh, well, this session I'll be quiet. Well, next session I'll be quiet. I, I won't carry this bill so I don't upset that person so that way I can move up to the, you know, they keep justifying it. So now, now they've been there for a dozen years and haven't done a single thing that they told their voters they would do. Or if they have, it's a, it's a muted, pale version right. of what they were going to do. Yeah. One comment, I didn't grab it, grab it for a clip, I think it was Bill Zedler said, and this is again, the Texas heist uh, made the comment about people, is turning to the point you were making earlier about, well, who's responsible? The voters choose someone they like. And it's very true. And I'll tell you something, it's who they like. And, very, and you want to be likable. If you had a candidate who was rude and insulting, you wouldn't like that person, but you want to like them. And you also, you like familiarity. You think, well, yeah, last time we voted for so-and-so, and I haven't heard anything bad, so I'll stick with that person. Uh, that happens. And there's also an insiderness in even people who are pretty savvy politically, and they know a lot of people, the idea that they know somebody, well, I'm going to stick with whoever, 
because I know him or I know her and probably it'll be okay because I, it's like you stick with the person you, you have come to know because you feel like an insider even though what they're actually doing is not what you want them to do as your legislator. You observed all this, I assume? Yeah, look, it, we had this very uh, clubby and chubby um, uh, sense of, um, of familiarity with our, with our politicians that's actually not helpful. Um, you know, we, we have our politicians, the politicians like to tell us, oh, I, I hate uh, how personal politics is. That's not true. They love politics being deeply and intensely personal because that allows them to shield themselves from criticism. Um, the, the reason you get at Christmas uh, postcards with their families and their carefully manicured lawns and yes. everything else um, is so that you have a personal connection with them. They don't want you to treat, to treat them like the employee that they are. Because if it's personal now, when I come with a criticism, they can say, oh, he's attacking me as a person. And you think, oh yeah, this is my buddy being attacked. You know, no, no. We need to do a much better job as citizens of looking at our politicians the same way and almost with the same attitude that we treat our employees, that we treat the people who, who we manage, who work under us, certainly with dignity, with respect, they are made in the image of God, but at the same time, you know, you fire them to do a job. And, and, it, and it is okay to fire a person from doing a job that they're not doing and still love them and still have respect for them and still care right. about them as a person. But, but again, in politics, we made it so intensely personal uh, yes. that we don't allow that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So insightful. Exactly right. So I want to turn now. So this is how the, the heist of Texas is getting a, a speaker selected essentially by the Democrats who then pursues the agenda that the more moderate Republicans, even Democrats want key items. And especially at this time in American history, where I think we, you know, based on who we have in the White House, what's happening at the border, what's happening, all sorts of issues. People in Texas want to feel like, well, we have a Republican majority, so certainly our government can protect them, us, from them, from the Washington uh, out-of-control government. And so you really, really want to have legislators standing up for the issues that, that people feel that they're not just a slight adjustment to tax rates. They are protecting our citizens from a whole host of things that the Biden administration is doing. You want strong fighters in the legislature. Okay, I want to turn, I don't know if you want to respond, I want to turn to the impeachment process, which you might imagine I've been all over in my show. I just, you know, so if, if you're not paying attention, uh, or if you don't live in Texas, we are in the middle of a process in the gray state of Texas, where we have our attorney general, who'd been elected for 20 years in Texas, recently reelected a third time to be our attorney general last year. Uh, he was a subject of an impeachment in the Texas House. Again, he's Republican. All of the top level people in Texas are Republican, voted on by their voters. So, so we have Attorney General Paxton. He, you know, he served in the House, the Senate, and now he's attorney general. He was impeached by the House. And so the implication, before I say anything further, is, well, gosh, you have a Republican majority and they impeached him. Surely something's really, really wrong here. So they did the impeachment, you know, dark of night. No one knows. It, it is a, you know, it's kind of like a, you know, a smoke-filled back room type feel where all of a sudden the last day of session, when no voters in Texas had a clue that this was happening, said, oh, by the way, we impeached our attorney general. And, and so that was bad enough. I've been over this. Uh, many times on my show, but w this is in the face of a, a law in Texas that says you can't impeach an state official for conduct that occurred prior to their most recent election. I'm, I'm mixing the state law with a Supreme Court decision that said it means most recent election. 
So, and they just did it anyway. It did it anyway. So right now it's in the Senate, same process as in Washington. The House does impeachment. The Senate decides, has a trial, and then they vote for acquittal or conviction. And then what the process So here we have, and people asking, how in the world could this PAX impeachment have started? I have a, a kind of a run together of some of the clips. I don't know if you want to comment on first all about the impeachment process or... Well, I'll just note quickly, the, uh, the Texas House, you know, this, uh, they had a secret investigation apparently going on for several months. No one in the House knew about it. No one in the public knew about it. The Attorney General did no, not know he was the subject of this, right. of this investigation because they didn't ask questions. They brought in people, never put them under oath. They never um, did the due diligence of checking the documents and the claims. They just took at, at face value bad things being said about the Attorney General uh, at the at Memorial Day weekend, the last three days of the legislative session, uh, the Texas House leadership announced to the world, hey, we're going to impeach the Attorney General in 48 hours. Right. Members of the Texas House, uh, a number of the, of the right-thinking ones, uh, Republicans and Democrats, by the way, uh, said, are you kidding me? 48 hours? We've got 48 hours notice? Um, there were very, but it was framed as a loyalty vote. Do you tr do, are you loyal to the Speaker of the House or not? And so, of course, the bunch of lemmings went along with it. And what we were told from the House floor, Andrew Murr, state representative from Junction, Texas, who was the, uh, the, 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 the lead on this push for the Speaker of the House, uh, he said on the House floor, there is so much evidence. We have mounds of evidence, more evidence you can imagine that will come out in the Senate trial and, and, and we just have all this evidence. And what's been so striking now, they fast forward to the beginning of the impeachment trial and there's the same Andrew Murr who now confronted with having to produce this evidence. He told the Texas Senate, well, you know, he didn't maybe didn't commit crimes, but he did wrong things. Well, that's a that's a whole different game you're talking about. And you have a whole lot of House members saying, wait a second, you told us he committed felonies in the impeachment documents. They list the years in jail he could get for it, making this big show. And instead, uh, they're now changing it to, well, we just don't like the cat. So let's, let's throw him out the door. Absolutely. You know, um, that was a great summary. And um, it is very, very true. What, uh, back to your point about people not knowing. You know, Luke Macias, I was, he has some function, uh, who's a very, very involved in, in Austin, you know, very savvy about things. It, it was some uh, Republican function, club, club meeting. He was the speaker. It was very nice. I was at, at the table, I was sitting next to him. So he's got, about to go up and say whatever he's going to say. And I said, so, you know, what's new in Austin? I'm just chit-chatting. He goes, well, they're going to impeach Ken Paxton. I mean, I was, I thought I was going to say, you know, we got a new puppy or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, and he yeah. was, you know, and, and I said, what are you even talking about? I thought he, I, and anyway, it was Ken, right Ken before Paxton, that. The, the, the real crime, Ken Paxton did commit a crime. He committed actually a capital political offense. Ken Paxton's crime was that he's actually been delivering on his campaign promises. Think of it. Exactly. And exactly. for that, and for that, they must remove him because Republicans in Austin, and I would argue Republicans across the country, uh, many of them have a real problem with someone who delivers on their campaign promises. They, they like having a big delta between what they say and what they do. And then Ken Paxton, you know, he's a fallible human being, done stupid things, you know, like all of us done. 
But when it comes to, to his job performance, he's actually done what he said he would do. He's done it successfully and effectively. Um, you know, I've had folks from around the country reach out to me about this impeachment thing. And they're saying, wait a second, you can't get rid of Ken Paxton. We need him in right. you know, name square state here because, you know, because our attorney general has three staff members and couldn't you know, law his way out of a paper bag. But meanwhile, you've got the attorney general of Texas, the largest law firm on planet Earth, who's able to successfully go after Google and go after big tech and go after the Biden big administration, pharma. go after big pharma, um, and, 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 have, and having done so very successfully where no one else has. Uh, so this is, this is not even just about Texas and the little personality fights in Texas. This is, this is literally a guy who, because of the, because of the uh, circumstances, is in many ways standing in the gap for a whole lot of America against the Biden administration. Exactly. And this is why the Texas voters, because everything that is involved in these impeachment arguments was out there. Heaven knows the primary challengers put it all out there. The Texas voters said, yeah, but Ken Paxton fights for us. He fights on election integrity. He fights on, uh, to me, the big pharma thing to actually begin right. to investigate them. He fights on the issues that voters expect Republicans to fight on. And he makes the Republicans who don't fight look bad. Right. He does. He makes them look bad because he stands up. So we have a little run together clips. Um, this is uh, clip four. If you can quick do that. This is. Did you interview any witnesses? As I explained, the folks that we hired to work for the committee did the interviewing. And what you're being asked to do today is to impeach without evidence. It is all rumor. It is all innuendo. It is all speculation. It is all things that we may speculate to be true but we don't have what is defined or what qualifies as evidence in any court at law, not only in Texas, not only in the United States, but in most developed countries in the world. Chairman Murr, are you aware of any member of the Texas House of Representatives who was given an opportunity to interview witnesses? So I'm going to I'm going to answer that in a broad, broad stroke because I understand that you're trying to uh, make a point. This body's afforded more time for debating tampon tax relief than we've given to deciding whether imp to impeach the highest law enforcement officer in our state. Chairman Murr, do you know whether any witnesses that spoke to the investigators hired by the committee were placed under oath? No witnesses were placed under oath. I mean, he's fallible just like every single one of us, but man, he, is, he has taken on the machine, both on the federal level and here in the state, uh, like few others have. And so maybe that has something to do with it. The process was greatly flawed. It was done in secret, in the dark. Members, even members didn't know what was going on. Certainly the public had no insight into what was happening. Then all of a sudden, one day, poof, we, you know, let's vote to impeach Ken Paxton. So that was a good summary of what happened. And, you know, these kind of comments you're able to elicit from these people. I was going to comment, just generally speaking, about making this uh, film the heist. Most people involved in politics want to keep on getting invited to cocktail parties and keep on getting invited to events. And so to make a film like this, you're kind of saying, I'm just going to speak truth. And, and, you know, if it makes some people mad, but what you're really doing is representing 
the republic, the, the voters, the people who say, why is it we can't get these major policies done? So it's just, I meant to say, it's a very brave thing to put a film out oh, like that. Well, it is. Well, no, I and you know, the, the good news is I don't like cocktail parties and I actually <laughs> don't like being with people that much. So hey, I'm doing the right, doing the right thing. Um, but the uh, but but then you know there when when you're when you when you occupy the kind of world that I do working in uh, working in the news business, um, you can you can choose one of two audiences. Your audience can either be the crony um, insider politicians and their hanger honors uh, hangers on, or it can be the be the citizens. Um, I would suggest to you that the establishment media, the the dying legacy media, uh, they picked their audience. Who, who, they, who they write for are those crony insiders and political hangers-on. That's who they write for. And at Texas Scorecard, we write for the citizens. And so, yeah, I, you know, I, 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 I consider myself having failed when I see a politician saying nice things about our coverage. <laughs> okay. if, they, if they're saying nice things about our coverage, we probably haven't done the right thing. I missed the boat. Yeah. Yeah. But on a serious note, those those clips are, um, I mean, everything in that film was just really brave and really strong. And um, and calling out this impeachment process, it's just been staggering to watch the House members who are willing to vote for it. And they were. It's the people, same folks who are fine voting for a speaker who isn't really going to push Republican agenda. Right. And they're fine with voting to, to go along with him to get rid of the attorney general who's actually doing the fighting on the issues that people want want them to fight on. Yeah, and, and again, I think this point is really important to make for folks who are, you know, uh, who have only kind of catched little bits and pieces of this Paxton trial throughout the trial. Uh, now, the past now two weeks, not a not a shred of evidence has been brought forward, putting forth the clips. And in fact, the House's own witnesses, uh, these people who made these extraordinary claims under oath, each and every one of them said, well, I don't have any evidence. I just believed that he was doing something wrong. Well, I'm yes. sorry. You know, I can believe that you shot Mother Teresa in the back, but yeah. it's, that's a fantasy. It's not true. And I think that's where um, you know, we, you know, we, we were told, oh, these are all fine, conservative Christian men. If that's the definition of a fine, conservative Christian man, we are in trouble. And so I think that that's where, you know, the, 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 there was no evidence. And what the only evidence that exists is that you had people who didn't like the fact that Ken Paxson was doing his job. That's the evidence that yeah. exists. Yeah, I'll tell you, the one piece that was really specific and just a wonderful rebuttal of the, the whole case against him, there's an argument that he, Ken Paxson, took a bribe from someone by having this uh, work done in his home, have granite countertops installed yeah. in his home. And I mean, to watch I mean, that one part I did have on, I was trying to multitask, watch that and, and yeah. type something. But, but the what came out after this tremendous job by the Paxson attorneys, I think it was Busby on this one, just at the end of the day, there was nothing to it. It, it never had happened. This, this builder who was supposedly had donated work and didn't charge, it was a payback, a bribe. There was nothing to it. Ken Paxson and his wife 
had, had picked the granite and, 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 and everything was done was not done by that guy. I mean, it was just, it was completely it, obliterated by the very witness who first, I think, had, had raised it as a concern. And in fact, what had, what's been said for three years um, has been, oh, you know, Ken Paxson got his kitchen, very specific, yeah, yeah, got is, his right. kitchen remodeled with new granite countertops uh, uh, as part of a, that had some, some water damage and a flood. Uh, and, uh, and, and what, what came out during the, this, this trial now has been that not only, you know, was the, did the Paxton's pay showing all the money in and out and in and out, all the different, you know, yep, yep. wire transfers, uh, the Paxton's paid, but also they showed pictures of the kitchen where there was, there had apparently been some discussion about, oh, maybe we should remodel the kitchen at the same time. Um, but the picture showed that the, you know, tile, you know, circa 1991 um, kitchen counter yeah. tile look uh, that existed prior to doing the work is the same tile work and cabinetry that is there Today. literally right now. So the work was never done, even though it was presented by, you know, as an absolute fact by the left-wing media and by the Republican um, accusers that this had actually happened. There was actually granite countertops. There were no granite countertops. Yeah, so, yeah, it, it was amazing. It was amazing yeah. piece. I want to make sure and leave time for our audience. We often we have a lot of them. Um, Offering the opportunity to ask questions if they'd like to toward the end. So I'm going to skip clip six here, Mr. Emilio. Um, I, there was a clip that basically there were people talking about, um, it was uh, Jill Glover and Stickland talking about Republicans don't like their voters. It was a yeah. very fun segment, but I want to do the last thing because I want to get to who exactly is it within the legislature in the Texas House that causes this process, this pattern over and over? The House Speaker gets picked by the Democrats, so it takes some Republicans to cross over. I have a little segment on that, and then I want to have you talk about how do we fix this, how we make this stop happening. But let's just play, if you would, clip seven, please, there, sir. I feel like ultimately you can always point the finger to anybody who casts a supporting vote for Dade Feeler, right? You could say everybody who votes for his leadership is in some way responsible, but ultimately he can't do this alone. He actually has to have different leaders in the caucus that are working with him. And I think it's pretty easy to see this you know, different mix of lawmakers. Um, Representative Charlie Guerin, major enabler, probably a closet Democrat, needs to go. Representative Glenn Rogers, who has definitely made his fair share of, of enemies amongst his constituents. You've got representatives like Glenn Rogers, J.C. Jaton, Todd Hunter, Ken King. You also have the enforcers. Ultimately, you need people like Jeff Leach, Charlie Guerin, Craig Goldman. These are people who literally walk around the floor and tell people how to vote. Dustin Burroughs, the chair of Calendars, is with this group too. Dr. Lynn Stuckey, who is out of, I think he's Wise in Denton County and Decatur and all of that. So he, he's another one. He's going to have some primary challengers, some solid primary challengers. Stephanie Click, Dustin Burroughs, Jeff Leach, Andrew Murr as general investigating chair, somebody who wasn't originally thought to have been a very top lieutenant and was very clearly tasked with some very important things to deliver for the Democrats. Justin Holland says, I'll take one for the team. Hey, hold, Emilio, leave that screen up. Can you leave that up right there? Okay. So this is, you know, you're the dirty dozen of people who enable this eventual stealing of the House leadership. So. So these people orchestrated, as we were saying earlier, to be fair, you know, the other Republicans, if there were to be every other Republican band together, they couldn't change the outcome, but they could make clear 
to the state, to the people. We're not with this. We didn't want to go along with this. So everyone's culpable to a certain degree. Right. Only a few ever got brave enough to say, I don't care, I'm voting for somebody else, but then it didn't uh, do any good. So how do we fix this? Well, first, I think you know, all this keeps coming back to us, the people that we tolerate. You, know, you, you get the government that you ignore. You get the government that you tolerate. Um, and so to the extent that we're not um, actively fighting against our incumbents is the extent and, and, and replacing them. That's the extent to which we are ultimately responsible. You and I are responsible for these 12 people. You and I and our friends and the people we went to high school with and the people on our Christmas card list and our weird cousin who probably shouldn't be voting anyway. All those people. You know, <laughs> How do you know about my cousin? No, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We all have one. Um, but you know, all of those folks, uh, all of us, bear the responsibility for not holding these folks accountable. Um, you know, uh, second, you know, there's this sense which we, we, we allow ourselves and allow our politicians to say, well, let's not vote alone. That was not the belief of our founding fathers. You know, John Quincy, uh, excuse me, John Adams said, even if I vote alone, I know that my vote hasn't been wasted. You know, mm -hmm. we, sh we should be a people of principle. We should be people who believe that principles come before personalities. And yet we have allowed to arise in the Texas House. We've allowed to arise in our legislative process the idea that, well, you know, we we often treat politics the way we treat treat our, our college sporting teams. You know, you know, I'm an elephant. Go elephants! I'm a donkey. Go donkeys! Um, you know, we, we we need to stop doing that. We 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 need to be principle first people, and and that does sometimes mean being alone. And being alone means now and I gotta go find a friend. We sometimes hide in the comfort of well, you know, all twenty of us can't be wrong. Oh really? 20 people can't be wrong. Let me introduce you to the Democrats in Washington, D.C. You know, oh, you know, a million yeah. people can't be wrong. Oh, really? Well, let me show you the Nazis in Germany. You know, you know, large groups of people can be very wrong. Have you, have you read about the Sanhedrin? You know, you, you, yeah. you, you, you cannot hide behind, oh, well, we're part of the group. And, but then, again, this is incumbent on us you know, to say to our legislator, you know, Gally, Gally Susie, you, you're a really, I love your Christmas cards, but you're failing me in yeah. office. Therefore, we need to find a replacement for you. Yeah. The party needs to, to the extent it can, find people, um, or even just activists, to find people right. to run against, because you got to be, you got to find the person who is a problem, find someone to run against them, get behind them. It's a process to replace anyone in the legislature. And, and as we I know you and I haven't talked about before, but you know, the legislators are not paid uh, anything. I mean, you really have to be either have a spouse who supports you or have the, the means to work, to, right. to not work and to, to serve in the legislature. So, you know, it's a limited universe of people who can run and they have to be rightly principled and motivated and, and willing. And so, yeah, it's a project, but it is needed. It's needed because otherwise, you know, um, yeah, you end up with, with these people. Yeah. You know, our, our founding fathers in the, the, the most important line, the, the line that actually secured the death warrants for our founding fathers, the Declaration of Independence, all of the silly poetry about inalienable rights and oppressions, all that kind of stuff, that had been said before in many ways at different times. The thing that, the thing that was different in the Declaration of Independence was the last line. And to this we pledge our lives, our fortune, our sacred honor. When the king and his people saw they went, they went, oh no. 
They're actually serious. So we actually have to yeah. take this seriously. And, and we, we as their heirs, we as the, as the recipients of their willingness to put their lives towards our, you know, we, we, we treat very cheaply what they considered very expensive. Um, and, and, and to the extent that, yeah, it is expensive to support someone for office. But you know what? I drink a lot of Dr. Pepper. Maybe I should drink less Dr. Pepper. You know, go out to eat a lot. Maybe I should go out to eat less so that I right. can, you know, there are so many things that our founding fathers were willing to sacrifice. And we sit there and think, well, gosh, you know, writing a hundred dollar check to the sky who will take out one of these bad guys. Oh, that's, that's too much. I don't care about liberty that much. You know, I, I just hope that, that the next tyrant has soft shackles for me. Yes, exactly. 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 Very well said. Very well said. So I had, okay. So we probably have questions with my over there on the microphone, whenever if you want to ask a question, I will tell you, I had a friend call me yesterday who's extremely political and very upset about everything. Uh, and she called to say, look, there's a fundraiser for Dade Phelan. Hmm. And, I, and she said, we should go. And she said, to stand there and ask questions. I'll send you some questions. We'll go together. We'll both. I mean, you might as well make him uncomfortable. I mean, yeah, we're not going to yeah. pay to go to a fundraiser, to be very clear. But for him, I mean, but, you know, to go there, to make them uncomfortable. These people who do not listen to the voters, who, who really, they, they are thwarting the will of the voters by going after Ken Paxton. They should be uncomfortable and worried every time they step out their door. I'm not talking about violence. I'm talking about verbal confrontation right. and, and speaking the truth to them. Make them uncomfortable in front of their room of donors. You yeah. did this. You didn't do this. So we just might do that. Yeah, too, too, too many. I love it. I love it. <laughs> too, too, too many of us have been, have been taught that, oh, well, let's just be polite. Let's get along. Being polite and getting along is what serves, ty serves tyrants. Tyrants yes. love a complacent and polite people. Uh, we need to be maybe a little less polite. We need to be a little more direct. Um, we, we owe it to ourselves and our posterity. Amen. So I'm sure we have some questions here. There, um, there you go. You can, I was going to mention to you when you, if you would stand up and then speak right into the microphone because it just not for the room, but to go out on air. Thank you. Thanks for coming. How much of an issue is money from lobbyists we haven't really talked about money. I know that all these guys are paid by Dade. That's the phrase I use all the time. <laughs> but how much is a matter of, of lobbyists and you, you think of dirty money in Austin? Yeah. Well, let, let, let's always be clear that, um, that first, you know, Dade doesn't pay anyone. T Dade just facilitates the check, right? So you know, it's other people's money. It's always easy to do bad things with other people's money. Um, and so, you know, the Speaker of the House gives a lot of power. The Speaker of the House, therefore, uh, brings in a lot of cash. And that's you know, uh, the, the, the informal, um, the, but, but highly recognized job of the Speaker of the Texas House is to raise money for the other members of the Texas House. And that's what this speaker does, and he raises money for those who go along with him. Um, I, I think that sometimes we, we like to tell ourselves that, oh my gosh, you know, I, I elected a good guy. I elected a good guy, but then he got down there and they bought him off. And I, I, this is uncomfortable. I'm going to offend all of you if I haven't already. Then this may be my last chance. Um, <laughs> is that the problem is you did not elect a good guy. You did yeah. not elect a good guy. You elected someone who tickled your ears and told you the things you wanted to hear so that you would pick his name rather than the three other names on the primary ballot. And that when he, when he got, in, got to Austin or Washington or wherever, he now just got to be who he really was. Now, it might have taken him a session or two to, 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 to get noticed 
Um, so, so when you see Dade Phelan writing these big checks from his campaign to their campaigns, it's not, and we want to tell ourselves to comfort ourselves uh, that, oh, you know, I, I didn't make a mistake, so he just got off. No, Dade Phelan recognized that these guys, these gals are going to be on his team uh, and, and knows it about them, and so he's rewarding them with money. Money is, uh, money counts a lot in politics, but here's the uncomfortable political truth. No challenger in the history of our country has ever spent more than an incumbent. Every incumbent always outspends a challenger. Every challenger who has beaten an incumbent has beaten the incumbent with less money. Um, so it's not a, so money, money matters, but what matters more are citizens getting involved and engaged. Citizens spending, uh, yes, you know, writing the hundred bucks to the campaign is important. What's more important is knocking on a hundred doors. What's more important is showing up at, at events, waving signs, passing out brochures, calling friends, family, being that annoying guy at Thanksgiving. You know, um, that's, that's the way uh, we win. And it, it, it's honestly a lot harder, but it's the sweat equity of um, getting someone elected. He, he also mentioned lobbyists, which is a different animal of people. Is that, maybe that's... Yeah, so again, so, you know, the, the, the uh, incumbents, their money comes from, generally from the lobby. Uh, you will see a, a, a new, can't, someone first elected, you look at their campaign finance report, and you see a whole bunch of human beings who live within, you know, 50 miles of their home, you know, kind of thing. People they go to Sunday school with, people who they know from mm -hmm. work, whatever. Um, by their second or third term, those people aren't giving any more. They're not even asking them anymore. Um, instead, they're asking the lobbyists in Austin because the lobby, again, the lobbyists, it's not their money. It's the money of their yeah. clients. And often those clients are people who want something from state government. And what they generally, when you boil it all down, what a lot of their clients want from state government is your liberty. What they want from state government is your property. What they want from state government is a, is a bit of your life. Um, and is that, that, that's, who, that's who the lobbyists are doing. That, when, when you go to government, a big company goes to government and says, hey, give me something special. Help me you know, knock down my opponent. That's, that, that is the essence of all. Of course, some of the lobbyists are actually using your money to get your state representative to vote against you, because in Texas we have uh, this horrible thing called taxpayer-funded lobbying, where taxing entities take your money, hire a lobbyist to work against you. And there's been efforts to get to reverse that, that Big, to make it illegal, but yeah, you can't so, seem to. Yeah, so look, this has been a huge push, and, and I'm sure your audience will be shocked to hear this, um, that uh, the Texas Senate has actually passed a prohibition on this several times, but somehow or other, the Texas House keeps running out of time um, yeah. and not being able to do it. The Speaker of the House, Dade Phelan, huge opponent, of this prohibition, he likes the taxpayer-funded lobbying. Sure. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're, I'm sure you're shocked by that. Uh, but you know, this is going to be another big issue um, in the in the next legislative session in 18 months yep. from now. Love to have another question. There's a hand up in the oh no, there and then there. How about that? Not to make you happy, but the people that I talked to in the legislation about you, because I was new to the game, they had nothing nice to say. Excellent. I'm doing my job. <laughs> I'm doing, I, I, oh, that makes me feel so happy. I was worried for a moment. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The question is, I belong to a women's group, and half of us are, I guess, rhinos? I don't know what to call them. And the other half are grassroots. And we are as different as day and night. They think Stephanie Click is the best thing since sliced bread. I think she was responsible for not allowing that gender mutilation to go the year before. And I put that in writing. I became censured. <laughs> wow. Bravo. Bravo. 
So I'm on your heels. I'm on your heels. Uh, but how did we get there? I'm an officer in a club, and I have people that think the exact opposite of me. How did we get there? Yeah, look, I mean, it's um, there. That, that you could probably do the shows for the next two decades about how, about how we get there. I think a lot of it boils down to I think many of us um, have bought into what, what I consider one of the one of the biggest lies in our culture, and that is when you know, the lie goes like this: in polite company, we don't talk about religion and politics. We, we, we tell right, it all the right. time. That is a it's a it, it is a lie. I would argue literally from the pit of hell because you because I have a, I have a book that says I am supposed to with my last breath um, extol my praises to my Savior and, and my God right um, and then I've got a constitution that says I'm supposed to be in charge and I'm supposed to be in charge with all of you people and the only way that I can effectively you and I can effectively be in charge of our government is if you and I have a communication. It's uh, my organization, uh, we had our board meeting yesterday. And so the, uh, the four of us who are on the board of directors having, you know, been, for a couple of weeks leading up to it, a lot of email conversations and phone calls talking about different things we need to cover, you know, it would not work. And our board meeting would not work if we didn't talk to each other. We have to talk to each other. And as citizens, we, ha we are on the committee to save the republic. We are the citizen, you know, we're in charge. And yet we tell ourselves, oh, in polite company, we don't talk about what we believe, and we don't talk about um, how to practically apply those beliefs. And so it should not surprise us that there are the men and women who we think of as right thinking, but are wrong thinking because no one has ever invested the time to help them think correctly, to help them view the, you know, to, to take you know, what they say they believe with what they actually allow, what they tolerate in government, um, you, we, we've never, we don't allow ourselves to have those conversations. You know, and and, and the, the, the net effect of that is, again, you know, the lie goes, in polite company. Well, then that means we're only having these conversations in impolite company? That's all, yeah. you know, so Debbie and I have to be screaming angry at each other? Um, we, we should, we as citizens should be, should be encouraging more conversations around, you know, around these important things because you know, so that we, we can nip these problems in the bud. And so you know, you, your club is no different, your organization is no different than so many others where you know, people have chosen a team based on elephant versus donkey, not fully comprehending what, it, what the elephant actually means. They just know they, just know they don't like donkeys. And that's, that, that, is, that is sufficient. You know, I, I don't like longhorns. I like I like I like I like Aggies, right? Whatever that is, right? Now that's what we are, you know. I like dogs, you know. Um, but but that old but that ultimately doesn't mean anything. And and actually, with A and M and UT, it means even less than it's ever meant before. When you consider all the crazy stuff going on at Texas A and M, whole different show for you. Um, but um, you know, but that's where we we as citizens have to do a better job. You know what? I, that was a great answer. I'm looking at time. We are pretty much out of time here. But, you know, uh, to your point a minute ago, you know, there's a, a Reagan's 11th commandment was, you know, you never, never insult a fellow Republican. That has actually been part of the problem, too. And not just because Reagan said it, but the notion that the Democrats band together. We have to band together. And, and, and we don't band together, number one. But number two, we have to learn what that means. You band together, meaning you don't take gratuitous shots at somebody. There's no point to it. But if, you, if we're not the party standing for principle and saying what the principle means and how you apply it, then we're not being, we're not loyal to the idea of, of America, the Republic, or our party. 
but we don't, yeah, we're, we're a little careful about not, you know, we, I don't want to say anything bad about him, but, you know, you can be, you can speak well and you don't have to use bad language or call right. names, but you have to call out people who aren't following uh, what they committed to do and what you believe and why you elected them. So we are pretty much out of time. Quickly, if people want to get your, uh, receive your Texas scorecard, they go to. Love folks, visit texasscorecard.com. Uh, we're also on all the various social media platforms, that kind of thing. Every uh, every uh, weekday morning, I put out an email called the Texas Minutes and have a morning podcast also called the Texas Minute, both of which take a couple minutes more than a minute to read or listen to, uh, but it's a real short, concise uh, summary of the Texas news and how it affects citizens. And I will attest for all my happy listeners, it is a really great read. It is quick read. It is clear. It's great summaries. It's, it's just a, a great morning thing to get, so I encourage you to sign up for that. And we are out of time for today. I will quickly tell you for next week on our Thursday show, we have, uh, we're bringing some in from New York, Dr. Miriam Grossman. She is a psychiatrist in New York, and she's a brave psychiatrist, written a book essentially about transgender ideology is, is lunatic, let me summarize for it, lunatic, not based in science, there's nothing good to it, but it's a really substantive book. And she's a very substantive thinker, been brave within her community of psychiatrists, psychologists in New York, just saying the entire concept that gender is something you can define for yourself has no connection to reality. And we've built this up no matter how many people believe in it. We've built it up. It's a false, it's just, a, it's a false science. It's not a science and is detrimental to kids. And she's, I mean, she's a really brave speaker. So she'll be here next week, a week from today. Hope you tune in then. And as I say at the close of every show, Thank you for listening to America Can We Talk. You can always go to our website, americacanwetalk.org. Find everything we've ever done, shows, interviews, everything I've ever said is pretty much out there, what I think about everything. But I'd love to have you tune in to America Can We Talk. We have reduced the schedule. I used to say Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. It's now actually just Tuesdays and Thursdays at 3 p.m. Central Time because I'm working on my campaign for Republican National Committee woman, which we'll go back to talking about next week on Tuesday. But for now, I'll say thank you for tuning in to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. Thank you. Thank you very much. Can we talk truth about America? Can you